welcome to another episode of the Day One Patch Podcast. I'm your temporary host, Matt Lawrence. I have with me today, Tim Spence. How's it going? I'm here, and I'm ready to talk some gaming news. It's a supercharged episode. It's not. A little bit, because we've uh, we talked at length about uh, Starfield, and that's one of the main stories that are coming up today. It's uh, Starfield Design Lead says that players are disconnected. And so we'll get into what that is. He has a huge Twitter thread. We're also going to be talking about The Last of Us Online and that it was uh, canceled and potentially due to some, who knows, some, what was that? Like there was like that game, that games as a service rumor for Sony where it was like some stu- the studios were like, hey, what the hell is going on here? Why are we only doing games as a service? Whatever. We covered that a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Insomniac Games has been unfortunately hacked. And apparently some of the stolen data was about the Wolverine game. So we'll get into that a little bit as well. The Insomni hack. The Insomni hack. A little bit, a little unfortunate. Real, real clever little name. I just came up with that. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that hasn't actually circulated online. Maybe it has, but... Um, <laughs> it probably has. It probably has. But uh, no, we have a 15-part thread here. This comes to us from Games Radar. Headline reads, Starfield, Le- Starfield Design Lead says players are quote-unquote disconnected from how players are actually made. Quote, don't fool yourself into thinking you know why it is the way it is, end quote. The byline of this article reads, because I wanted to mention this specifically, I can guess what it takes to make a hostess Twinkie, but I don't work in the factory. So this is, uh, this is of course, uh, you know, more, I suppose, bad news for Starfield. I don't know if it's bad news. It's just a sort of a controversial it's a bad take. Look. It's, a, it's bad a bad look, look for Starfield, which is not what they need right now. It's it. Yeah. It's certainly something else because we have this thread, which I'm going to read to you. It's 15 things, but it's not the whole, it's not that long. It's 15 parts, but this is actually right around the same time that Nakey Jakey re- had made his video about the game, calling it outdated. And um, also uh, the dev behind the Skyrim multiplayer mod um, allegedly says this is I described this from a headline from also from Games Radar, but uh, he apparently gave up his project to make Starfield multiplayer saying, quote, this game is uh, effing trash. And he, up- <laughs> and he uploaded everything that he worked on for someone else to finish. And then there's another quote from this. I just grabbed a couple <laughs> snippets. I'm not going to put my heart and soul into a mod for a game as mediocre as this. So that's Man. not good. Imagine, imagine for this, for the studio, for the studio that is known for having a, a, a an unofficial patch day one on the, on the Nexus, always leaving it to the modders to clean up their messes and even the modders are saying i can't save this that's so it's so tragic it's it's particularly tragic because i mean and i'm sure we'll get into this but the amount of loading screens and how like when you land your ship and you just run toward a cave and between you and the cave especially if it's on a barren planet, there is literally nothing. And I understand that that's realistic. And that's one of the arguments that Bethesda have. This is realistic. I understand that. Unfortunately, there's no way to have fun on the way to the cave. And so could you imagine going into a co-op experience and just running, like quite literally running the entire time to, to a target. And then like, you know, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, two minutes later, even it's like, okay, we've reached the cave. You talk to an NPC and then you just fast travel back because you've done the talking and you need to go and like report that back. It's a bit not good. And like, I don't know. I didn't read the whole article, but like, I would assume that this, that's part of the reason why um, this game was called mediocre by him. But we have this Twitter thread that I was talking about or X 
thread, I guess. And it's by Emil, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Emil Pagliarulo. I believe I maybe got that okay. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, so long thread, he writes. Funny, funny how disconnected some players are from the realities of game development, and yet they speak with complete authority. I mean, I can guess what it takes to make a hostess Twinkie, but I don't work in the factory. So what the hell do I know? What the hell do I really know? Not a lot. Part of me really gets it, really gets it. When you're a consumer and spend money on things that give you the right, that that gives you the right to complain about those things. I spend a lot of money on games every year, and sometimes it takes a lot for me not to scream into the internet's collective consciousness. I don't complain about games on social for two main reasons. One, I know how hard it is to make games and how, and, and have too much respect for my fellow devs. And two, I work for a game studio and it would be uncool and unprofessional of me to do so, but sometimes I want to. Oh boy. Most people don't have these constraints and are free to post whatever they want. The internet is a glorious wild west, wild, wild west, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And there was a time when I exercised that right freely. When I was writing game reviews for the Adrenaline Vault forever ago, I was absolutely that person who would say whatever I wanted about a game, good or bad. Sometimes the good was over-enthusiastically too good, and sometimes the bad was me being a sarcastic asshat. But throughout that time, I actually had no inkling what game developer, what game development, excuse me, was actually like. How hard the designers, programmers, artists, producers, and everyone else worked the, the struggle to bring a vision to life with constantly shifting resources, the stress. This isn't me complaining about my job. I've experienced all these things and will again. It's the nature of AAA game development. But I have a great position and I'm still gainfully employed after 21 plus years, a blessing considering the thousands of layoffs this year. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind because the internet, but given my position, I can't not share the truth. And that truth is that no one sets out to make a bad game. And most game devs are incredibly talented, even if the game they release isn't up to par. See, I never knew, I never knew this before, but if anything else, video game development is a series of concessions and tough decisions. There's that perfect game that you want to make, and then there's the game that you can make. Sometimes if the gods smile on you, those two are very close. But in order to get there, you need in order to get there to get it as close as possible to the vision, the team has to push itself harder and harder often while dealing with devs being shuffled around or leaving, looming deadlines, and creative decisions you wish you didn't have to make. And team is absolutely the operative word there. Lots and lots of folks are doing lots and lots of work, writing, level building, making character models, coding game systems, trying to schedule it all so it can get done and folks don't burn out, and on and on. So sure, you can dislike parts of the game, you can hate on a game entirely, but don't fool yourself into thinking you know why it is the way it is, unless it's somehow documented and verified, or how it got to be that way, good or bad. Chances are, and this is, I'm getting close to the end here, chances are, unless you've made a game yourself, you don't know who made certain decisions, who did specific work, how many people were actually available to do that work, any time challenges faced, or how often you had to overcome technology itself, this one is huge. So yes, love games, buy them, play them, and complain to your heart's content. It's sort of the nature of the of the developer slash player transactional relationship. But just know that the game you're playing is in some ways a freaking miracle in and of itself. Normal people would have to come would have come together to work for years for one goal to bring you fun and happiness. So it helps to remember that and them. So here's the thing though, is that just because you worked hard on something doesn't mean that it's good. And like, that's the other sort of linchpin 
I would say of, of the major criticism of even that huge write up is like knowing how something was done doesn't change if it was good or bad. Like, yes, it can give you an appreciation for the product. And maybe that's his whole argument is that people aren't uh, appreciating certain aspects of it because they don't know how the, you know, how the, um, how the product is made behind the scenes. But at the same time, you can have all this appreciation and the product can still be bad. Like, yeah, he keeps going on and on and on about how people aren't appreciating it enough. And it's like, because it's bad. Like, you can't, you can't get around that part. The reason the people wouldn't be complaining as much as they're complaining if it was good and it's not. So like, there you go. (laughs) He seems to think that like, if he says, oh, here's all the hard work that went into it, that makes it less bad, which just isn't the case. This thread almost sounds like it's trying to address a problem that I don't even think is happening, that it's like as if each of the people that are complaining were attacking individual devs on Bethesda's team. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like this thread is addressing that where it's like, hey, man, like we worked hard. Don't blame it just on me type thing. Um, But like you're 100 percent right. Like just because you worked hard on something doesn't mean it's good. Sounds like really, you know, cutthroat and really dry. But it is true. If you did like if you spent hours and hours and hours making something as, you know, simple as a garden shed and it fell over immediately. I mean, are you just going to leave it there and be like, well, it's still a garden shed. We just have to, like, lift the one wall up that's fallen. And like, yeah, listen, you don't understand the troubles that I went through trying to get this garden shed to work. Like the base was there, but it was already rotted out. So I had to go to the store and I had to get new wood to build a new base. But the store was out of stock. So I had to call in another different store and they had to source a different kind of wood from a different location. And I had to go through all these hoops to make this base. And then I had to well, I had to build the walls myself by hand. I didn't have any nails, so I had to use paper fucking clips. And that's why I didn't uh, stand up at the end of the day. And that's why I fell over. But, you know, I worked really hard on that shed. And um, you need to appreciate that and maybe think that maybe that shed's not so bad, even though it doesn't stand up and it's falling apart. And, like, that's fair when you're talking to, like, your family and stuff. Like, they'll see the struggle you go through and whatever. And it's like, man, I tried really hard on that, but it just failed or whatever. But it just, to me, it... Like this game needs to be fixed like or 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 something like you and I, Tim, we talked, you know, at length about how, you know, there's just like that Bethesda jank and it's always like, oh, it's just Bethesda do being Bethesda. It's buggy. Mm-hmm. It's it'll crash. It'll do this and that. Yeah, and the then you were saying like, it. yeah, the mod, the modders will fix it or like, you know, it'll just be good enough that the console players can play it uh, without mods. And like you and I were discussing how it's like, is that good enough? That's really bad. <laughs> That's yeah. a really, really privileged position to be in. And I feel like Bethesda knows it. And I feel like whether they realize it or not, it's affecting their like game development because if they were like, sure, they can be happy enough with their product. That is entirely on them. But just because they're happy enough with it doesn't mean that it's good. And like the critics are still going to rip it apart. Like if any other company in the industry put out games consistently as unoptimized and buggy as Bethesda does and has terrible launches as Bethesda does, they would be eviscerated Mm -hmm. online. They would be ripped apart. They would be fucking, they would be strung up in the town center square and they would be laughed at for years and they would be run out of town. No one would ever buy their games again, but because it's Bethesda and that's just their quirk. That's just what they do. People give them a pass every time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
the number and I, I talked about this on stream today, but like the number of 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 like mistakes that they made with Fallout 76, and they even have gone on record and said, like, yeah, you know, we we made a lot of mistakes with Fallout 76 and we learned a lot, and you know, we're gonna, you know, take that uh moving forward and apply all the lessons we learned to all of our all of our games. They had a real chance to step back, take a step back and take a real objective critical look at their game design philosophy and say, hey, maybe the way that we're doing things now isn't good enough anymore in 2023. Maybe we need to take a look at the rest of the industry and maybe we need to really start thinking about maybe we need to start from the ground up. Maybe we should start using another engine or make a new engine instead of the creation engine. Maybe we should employ better voice talent. Maybe we should, you know, X, Y, Z, do a million different things that, and then it could have been the perfect fresh start with Starfield, a new IP, allegedly the game they've been wanting to make for 25 years and actually were for about eight. And if, I mean, if Todd Howard's going to call it his magnum opus, it better actually be knocking it out of the park. Mm -hmm. They had the perfect opportunity to make the best game they've ever made. And it flopped again. The thing that the thing that's crazy about this game, too, is it's like I, I I'm still playing it very piecemeal. And, you know, it yes, it has that Bethesda jank and yes and yes. But like this game, they did learn about bugs. I think this game is the least buggy that I've seen on console. I'm having some trouble on my new PC that I've built. But on console, I've experienced very little bugs and I've only crashed in one city. But again, it's like, you know, still not great, like still still not amazing. But it has, still has that Bethesda jank where it's like. Like just yesterday, I booted the game up and this guy was he was being um held by the security because held by the security team because he was trying to smuggle drugs out of the place out of the city and so they had him you know hands up put his or hands behind his back type thing whatever they were like saying okay you know we'll check you out blah 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 and then he they tell him to get stand up turn around and in bethesda style the npc gets up turns around is in the wrong position and then like slowly janks his way like over to the his position way over to the, yep yeah slides yep. are like he kind of walk like he did walk but it was still okay. janky yep. walks his way over to the position does it and then the rest of the scene plays and yeah. it's like man yep. that's a bethesda that's a bethesda fucking like not a cutscene but that's a bethesda interaction for yeah. sure I still remember in Fallout 4 when I went to the vault for the first time and the doctor's like, follow me. And then he like faces the correct direction, but he's in the wrong place to start. And so he backs up, backs up a little more, gets into the right position. And then, yeah, a little sidestep and then forward. It's like, what? What the fuck was that? Like, (laughs) so human. I'm so immersed. Aren't you immersed? Are you having an immersive experience right now? I say, and it's like, I want to be, I want to clarify, like, I, I'm as tough on it as I am because I've been such a big Bethesda fan for so many years of my life, like mm-hmm. 14, 15 years, I've been a fan of Bethesda because Oblivion blew my fucking mind as a kid. It yep. was the greatest shit I'd ever played. And I'm only so tough on it because I know what they're capable of. And they just keep dropping the ball. Like, I I saw Starfield and I was like, this is the first Bethesda game. I have literally no desire to pre-order at all. I'm not Man. even going to get this day one. I still haven't played it. And like, I've been trying to get you to play it because I'm super interested in, in your take on it because it is such will. a weird game. I will. I like, I, I want, and I'm going to go in with an open mind too, but like I have seen and heard and you know, a million things 
so much about this game and uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be rough i'm trying to give it the like the benefit of a couple of months of patches before (laughs) before i play it because it worked out well for me with uh fallout new vegas I, i didn't play fallout new vegas until a couple of months after it came out and uh for as bad of a reputation as that game had when it first came out for all the like glitchiness and stuff it was totally fine for me the first time i played it yeah yeah i will say that like the other bethesda games like oblivion especially like oblivion like moral into oblivion was a huge jump like that's a big jump and you know there's criticisms about the game how um you know like it's even though like it, the what do they call that? The the radiant AI, even though the radiant AI is there, it is buggy. It's like, yeah, but it is Gen 1. Like, that's a legitimate excuse. Like, it's Gen 1. Sure, no one's yeah. really done that before. Like, fair enough, because it's not so janky that every single person, every single time is broken. Yeah. So, like, it's it's enough of the time where, yeah, if you're sitting there with a fine tooth comb watching the NPCs, you're going to see them do some weird shit. But like, but like in terms of sort of the facade of normal play, you're you know, it's it's fine. But that's gone in Starfield. And in Starfield, you just have this like weird, fragmented universe that doesn't play on Bethesda's strengths. And the Nicky Jakey video talks about that, where, um, you know, he says, you know, like some person in a town will be like, yo, man, like this bandit stole my wedding ring. Go and find the bandit. He lives in this cave. Go kill him. So, you know, standard quest. Yep. Nothing that stands out nothing revolutionary but what's revolutionary is that the on the way to the cave there's a waterfall oh there's a different type of bandit here or there's a weird creature let's go under the waterfall oh there's a cave here um there's a camp on the way there's you know a a dragon encounter now a dragon encounter there's like an orc standing out there that wants to challenge you to a fight like whatever and these are some of them are random and some of them are obviously uh, not necessarily scripted but placed in the world and you get distracted all the time. And so you're like, every single time you do one of those things, you're like, oh, shoot, what was I doing? Oh, right. Got to go after that guy's wedding ring. And you get distracted by that stuff. But in Starfield, it's like they they took the they took the um, the formula and they went, OK, people need POIs and they need to have an objective at the POIs and they need to have a place to pick up and return the quest. And so they've just sort of like boiled it down to that. And then because it's a space game, it's obviously technologically um, demanding, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's technologically demanding on the on the hardware. And of course, the the creation engines all I mean, it ain't the greatest. And so then now you have this like like loading screen riddled mess, because I don't know if you remember this, Tim, and I'm sure you do in, in Oblivion. It was like one of the criticisms that I had was. I would always I would fast travel to a place and frequently be placed right outside the door and then just have to click on the door and you load again. Yep. It's like they still haven't learned that lesson. Like even in the menu, like in the map, give me an option outside or inside even like a little pop up in or out. Which one? And you just click like, you know, B or A or something like one or one or the other. Like a quick one. You you memorize it after, after you play for a couple hours and boom, I'm in and out. But like I was talking to. I was talking or I was like listening to the Jake, Nikki Jakey video and I was talking to my business partner about this. And I was like, if you're in new, new Atlantis and like, you know, you, you're given a quest and you're in a different sector. So you're going to have to let's say you're going to organically take off. So you're going to travel using the mast, which is the public transit system. You're going to travel to the uh, spaceport. You're going to get in your ship. You're going to take off. You're going to go to the other place and you're going to land. You're going to do your, do your thing. Well, Mast is a loading screen. 
So there's one. Getting in your ship is a loading screen. To get in the seat, it's an unskippable animation. You have to and you have to plot a course, which makes sense. That I'm not complaining about that. An unskippable like ship boot up like sort of animation on your HUD. Then the ship takes off. That's a loading screen. You're in orbit now. Then you have to engage the hyperdrive. You have to, like you know choose your course or do whatever you got to do. So actually, you choose your course when you're in orbit. Sorry. So you just like take off. Then you choose your course when you're in orbit. So there's an, like so now we're at four. So we're at yeah mast. Get in the ship taken off into orbit. Okay. Now you're blasting off. Assuming it's one jump, there's, there's four. Okay. Then you have to hop out of your ship. There's five and then do your business or whatever. And then the best way back is to press is to go open up the menu and just press set course. And you immediately end up in new Atlantis, usually in the actual place you're supposed to be and you're actively avoiding your ship because you're trying to avoid like the five to eight loading screens. It's five yeah. to eight loading screens. Yeah. Like it's, it's ridiculous because you also have to like you blast off. Then you see the, then you see the planet, you look at the planet, then you land there's it loads. Then there's an unskippable landing animation. Then you get out of your ship again. And it's like, we're looking at, you know, depending on what you're doing, five to eight loading screens. Why the hell are there so many loading screens? And people like I, you know, kind of made this a meme or I did make this a meme on the DOPM socials and people defended it. They're like, No Man's Sky loads too. I'm like, yes, but during the fucking loading, I'm not told that it's loading. I'm steering the ship. I'm fucking yeah. playing the game. I'm using yeah. the ship. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's really tedious, especially in a game where you're gonna have those like encounters where you gotta go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's like, how many how many load screens am I gonna have to go through to accomplish a quest that is just effectively talk to a person? They say go find this other person. You go to the other person. You say you know hey what's up? They say okay go back to the first person. You go back to the first person again. You talk to them. Quest done. Like I saw a great comment on it that was like you never want to reach the point in your game where you're playing a quest that could have just been an email. And and there are moments like that, and you're in an interplanetary society. Use the fucking radio. Why? Yeah. Have. Why? Why is there no interplanetary voice and or text communication? Like this is crazy. Like, like I, I just jotted it down here in Notepad just to kind of organize my thoughts. So like, you have New Atlantis loading screen on the mast. Get in ship, orbit, jump, land on planet. And exit ship. So you have a minimum of six. A minimum of six if you were to take off organically and then land and and then like now you play. Which like if your game is optimized is fine enough because like if the load screen's like, you know, five to eight seconds, okay, fine. Yeah. But if each one is like 15, 20, 30, it becomes unacceptable. <laughs> like it's so tedious. It's like I just want to play the game and I'm spending all my time loading. It like what what's really sad is like I was explaining to you guys once I said in No Man's Sky, I was playing No Man's Sky shortly before and maybe a little during Starfield's launch or shortly after Starfield's launch. And and one of the I have this like distinct memory of my ship where in that game, like it's a resource, you know, d- game and the planets are procedural, just like Starfield. But you need to maintain that ship like that ship is your lifeline. You need that ship. Mm. It needs you. It needs you to maintain it. You need it to be maintained so you can get the fuck out of there. And I have this memory where uh, I was running around with a friend on this random planet 
and this massive superheated thunderstorm appeared out of nowhere. And we were in this really shitty sort of like cavern or cave and kind of like a Grand Canyon type of thing. And we couldn't get our ships to land because there was nowhere that was even ground. And we ran out of the canyon. We could barely see. We're dying. We're literally like getting scorched to death. We're trying to figure out how the hell to get out of here. I finally find a flat enough piece of land. I call my ship in. And because it's maintained, like it has fuel and such, it comes ripping in. It comes like automated, comes flying in for me. I run over to the ship. I jump inside. I'm now safe. It tells me the external temperature is, you know, 200 degrees Celsius or whatever. I'm like, Jesus. And then I blast off into space and get the fuck out of there away from the storm. And it's like that is like almost in like an emotional bond, if you will, or like that's an, an asset like that ship is an asset, if nothing else. And I need that ship. Whereas in Starfield, it's like the ship is an asset. But only when you haven't been to that place before, because once you have, you can quite literally just open up the menu, press X to set course and you just jump and everything. And you're pretty well just there. You know, you like you just get there as quickly as possible. You skip as many loading screens as possible. And it's just it's just it's so. It's such a like a head scratcher, like Nikki Jakey had a really good way to say say something like he was saying how like, why is it? And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but like, why is it that one of the like sort of the key gameplay design choices was the planets are procedural. That makes sense. The planets are realistic. So there's no like random encounters and stuff. So it's like, okay, but there's no vehicle. And for some reason, on many of the POIs, there's no landing pad. So you just land in the area and you have to run for literally kilometers through just like barren rock or like sand. And even the ones that are interesting that are like, you know, lavish jungles, it's like this is still just a fucking jungle. And I've been here before. Like, it's clearly a procedural jungle. Yeah. Basically, all of this to say that, like, this whole rant seems to be just them being mad that people didn't like the thing that they worked hard on and like saying that, oh, gamers are just out of touch. They don't understand the hard work that goes into it and they don't even understand, like, they're not even appreciating what's good about it. They're only focusing on the bad. And like, yeah, there's going to be people out there that are just going to hate on it for the sake of hating on it. But mm-hmm. they seem to be forgetting that like a lot of their demographic, a lot of their audience, especially for RPGs, are like old school gamers. People that are old enough now that they have they have like gone to school and have been working in the games industry themselves for like years now. Like yep. they, they know how the past is made. And they're still complaining about it. So like. It's not just undeserved hate that the game is getting. It's getting legit criticism and they just don't like to hear it. And I and I get it. Like if all you hear is negativity around your thing, like yeah, it's going to get annoying because yeah, you know, you you like to think that you know what's good about your product. And this is not to say that that Starfield is completely irredeemable. It is strange how in 2023 they think that the released state of it was good enough and it's also strange that bethesda is in the position that they're in where they they just get a pass because oh it's just bethesda Mm -hmm. like wouldn't you wouldn't you want to do better like they're like like and to be fair like he said in his in his statement like nobody wants to release a bad game nobody wants to release a broken a broken game broken product Mm -hmm. and i fully i fully get that but like, are you really so in the weeds about Starfield that you look at it in its super unoptimized state and you think it's good enough? 
And well, like another thing that maybe stings for them, too, is that in the first few weeks, yes, there was always going to be people that hate it. And yes, there's going to be people that play it more than others. Like you and I discussed before this, Tim, how, you know, some of the reviewers, you know, were sort of, you know, kind of wishy washy on a little mediocre, some were negative on it. And some people on Twitter and that were too, like influencers and that. And I, I estimated that what had happened was those people had just played it longer because the facade that is the game is decent. Like, you know, we can you can go back in episodes of this podcast where I'm like, I'm having fun. I'm just running around. I'm doing this. And then it slowly turns and it slowly turns <laughs> into like, man, like I'm friggin' out in the fringe of space and I'm bored as hell. Like I'm oh. bored as hell. I'm loading all the time. And then Ryan is encouraging me just to go do quests, just go do quests. And I'm like, yes, but like I'm in space like this should not be boring. This, this should be exciting. Yeah. It's like this should, there be, should exciting. be stuff to do. There should be a million things like, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, so like it, it's I'm interested in, in watching like I'm still going to play this game. Like I'm still playing it almost as a curiosity. Um, but man, what a strange like what what some there are some strange decisions, strange, strange decisions in this game. So we'll see how it gets fixed up. Uh, and one of our theories is that they're just going to release Christian Club 2 on it. And uh See what's Let, up. Oh, although they let are doing everybody else fix it as per usual. <laughs> well, in their defense, they are sort of doing the fall of 76 thing where they said they're going to be doing a patch every whatever it is, three weeks or whatever it is, however many weeks it is. And they already have one that's planned that's big for 2024 and that type of thing. But as like sort of a closing note, one thing I'm a little bit worried about is that we have uh, fall of 76 released in a disastrous straight and is now in a good state, but had to be patched to get there weirdly redfall was trending the other day for me on x and people started saying it's good now and you should play it another bethesda game not bgs but still bethesda game that's still like okay you released it and i just patched it and now you think it's good okay it's like maybe it is good but like okay you have starfield which is kind of in this way too right where it's like once you play the game for a while it's sort of like oh the facade's over and why am i in the same crowd facility for the eighth time and I mean, this is controversial one. Ghostwire Tokyo, because I also was up and really happy with Ghostwire Tokyo for about three weeks. And once I got further in it, I was like, why does this game suck? And like, it's not good. And why isn't there a story? Um, <laughs> why isn't there a story worth talking Jeez. about? Um, which is a little unfortunate. So I'm a little worried that this is going to become a trend with Bethesda where they're just going to release shit that's like, you know, not done or not quite there. And then they're just going to patch it, patch it, patch it, patch it, patch it until it's good. And I guess that's what other some other studios do, but I'm not into that too much. But we'll see. Seems I like guess. a really bad strategy, because if you release your game before it's ready, you're going to turn away your audience. Mm -hmm. than if it was just really good at launch, like a game that's bad at launch, some people will buy it and then they'll say that it's bad. And then mm -hmm. the people who would have bought it later will go, OK, I'm not buying it. Whereas if it's really good then those same people will buy it at launch and they'll review it and they'll say, oh, this game's actually really good. And then those people who are on the fence will go, great, and they'll buy it. Yep. Like, so why not just wait until it's good and then release it? Because shareholders, sure, okay, there's whole, that whole part of it, but like, the shareholders will be happy if there's a good fucking product. <laughs> so. If you get celebrated in the gaming world too, like, I mean, this isn't a, a guarantee, but if you get celebrated in the gaming world, 
Like you get you get you reap the rewards. Like you release yeah. definitive editions, people buy it. You release DLC, people buy it. People want your next project. Like you get rewarded. I would say CD Projekt Red, you know, famously with the Witcher series, gets better and better and better. Then like you know the hype for Cyberpunk was massive. Then of course that gets dropped in a really fucking horrendous state. It's like what in the hell, you know? And yeah. and so they you know they've been kind of punished you know a bit. And and I'm sure for their next project, people are going to question like, is this going to be another Cyberpunk? You know, there's there's that dot in their record, which is unfortunate, but we'll see what happens with Starfield. That's the thoughts of the lead designer or the design lead uh, and Nikki Jakey, I suppose. So we'll yeah, shout out to Nikki Jakey's one YouTube video that is kind of popping off, to be honest. So, yeah, it's over well over a million, I think, now at this point views. So we'll see. We'll see what happens to Starfield. I hope they patch it and I hope I see it actively because I'm going to be playing this game probably off and on here and there. Out of perplexity. I don't know yep. if that's right. Okay. Interesting. So uh, le- legally correct term, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh <laughs> next thing here, next story of the week from PC Gamer. The Last of Us Online is f- is finally canceled because Naughty Dog thinks it will quote severely impact development on future single player games, end quote. So this story comes to us, like I said, from PC Gamer. And The Last of Us Online has been canceled after more than three years in development. Naughty Dog has made the announcement today, arguing that the ambitious project would require the studio to pivot entirely to post-launch support, read as a live service, fe- uh, read as a live service future, excuse me, rather than their, uh, I, I'm going to, raise d'entre. Is that how you say that? Raison d'entre. Anyway, big budget. Single player narrative adventures, basically their cream of the crop rise to the top, which Ooh, I yeah. absolutely b- butchered the, that French there. Uh, my my grade nine French teacher is not happy, probably with me. And <laughs> uh, it says here, quote, in ramping up to full production, the massive scope of our ambition became clear. To release and support The Last of Us Online, we'd have to put all our studio resources behind supporting post-launch content for years to come, severely impacting development on future single-player games. So we had two paths in front of us, become a solely live-service game studio, or continue to focus on single-player narrative games that have defined Naughty Dog's heritage. Now, some of you will remember that way, way back in when The Last of Us Part 1, which was just called The Last of Us, I believe at the time, had launched... It was very common to include just sort of a throwaway, at least throwaway multiplayer mode. And Last of Us did do that. It had a multiplayer mode. I remember you could connect it to Facebook. And I also remember that Marty and Ryan both died of dysentery, sadly, um, according to <laughs> according to the game's stupid little like messaging system trying to keep my camp alive. So, you know, obviously this was going to be a much more ambitious project. Last of Us Online is going to be a much more ambitious project than the Last of Us multiplayer that I suppose we're used to from the PS3 era. And so it's been shut down. Now, I wanted to bring this up because obviously it's interesting just in and of itself. But also, Tim and I had that discussion about games as a service and how there was almost some unrest or seemingly some unrest among PlayStation Studio studio, uh, game developers because they... Uh, meaning Sony wanted to start, you know, really kind of hammering on in the games as a service space and some of the devs weren't happy. And so this could, you know, this might be one of those things where maybe Sony isn't as hard on, you know, being, being hard on studios saying, no, you just figure it out. You have to support it. Or are they potentially, and I'm just speculating here, playing favorites. This is Naughty Dog. They better deliver Last of Us 3 for us. You know, we have a TV show now and blah, blah, blah. 
So somebody else like Bend Studio that made Days Gone can make a, make a games as a service game for us. Again, this is me totally speculating. I don't know, but at least there, at least Sony has you know obviously conceded this point, assuming they were pushing it, and has allowed them to just sort of do what they do. What do you think, Tim? <laughs> I no, yeah, I, I feel like you're kind of on the money. Uh, it's the the thought about having it be like, oh, you know, we'll have them keep cranking out things, and then if we want to have any other multiplayer projects or whatever other weird things that come along, like trending in the games industry, we'll just get the B the B team to do it, and uh, we'll have them try to keep cranking out the heavy hitters because we're relying on it because. They, you know, they did it once so they can do it again is, is always like the, you know, the perspective of the uh, upper echelon. And it's like, oh, just do that really great thing that you did again. Just recreate uh, perfection. Well, it's crazy, too, because, I mean, obviously they purchased Bungie, like Sony purchased Bungie. They own Bungie and Bungie's going through the ringer right now. They've had some layoffs. Uh, apparently, Destiny 2 isn't, you know, scratching the itch anymore. Uh, and you know, that sucks. Um, and it, and it kind of seems like all of Sony's games as a service games, which I can't even think of another one, but like that game in particular, and then this would have been the last of us online would have been, I've just sort of like fallen by the wayside, which is really unfortunate. And, you know, it is unfortunate in one way because games as a service games, when they're successful, they do provide you with security like financial security, meaning if, you know, Destiny 2 is doing fantastic, there's a bunch of that money there. And Just so passively, yeah, that, yeah, passive, you know, pretty much passive income. Obviously, there's still devs supporting it, but there's not a new game in development. And it's like, here's a bunch of money that comes in so that if we release another game, that's sort of an experiment and it sucks or it doesn't do well, we're not screwed. We can try again. We're not like, oh, my God, now we have to do something really safe and like, you know, hope it does OK, because if we fail one more project, we're screwed. So in that way, it kind of sucks. Um, but I, I'm super I'm super curious as to what Sony is going to do with games as a service, because obviously this is gone now. I can't think of another game that's coming out that's like that. I don't think Wolverine is going to be is going to be. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. So um no, I, so yeah, like it's this is just this is just an interesting, you know, kind of tidbit. I'm I'm curious as to what Sony does for games as a service cuz even Ubisoft, which is obviously, you know, having their own problems as it is, uh they are struggling to get, you know, some of their games as a service games up. Their Battle Royale, you know, that launched a few years ago, came and went and like completely collapsed. Yeah. Uh, Skull and Bones is uh, in limbo, and yes, I know they have a release date. I'm still calling it in limbo until that damn thing hits shelves. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, Skull and Bones still in limbo, and they do sell like Helix credits or whatever the hell they are for Assassin's Creed. You can buy armors and stuff, but that's not a big like. I don't like how many people are buying those, right? Like it's not it's not like a Fortnite. Yeah. So. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I mean, speaking of Ubisoft, there's also the Avatar game, but that's also not a games as a service game. So mm. I think it might have some Helix credits or something, but it's nothing like at least I've been playing it and I've barely seen it. So. Last story of the week here. Insomniac Games has reportedly been hacked with details of its upcoming Wolverine game included in the stolen data. According to a report by CyberDaily.au, Insomniac Games, the studio behind Spider-Man and Ratchet & Clank games, has been hacked 
by a ransomware group. The group who call themselves, and I'm probably getting this wrong, Residia, proved uh, provided proof that included a screenshot of Insomniac's upcoming Wolverine game as well as a as well as character art for various Marvel-owned characters. More concerningly, the hack also includes scans of passports belonging to both current and former Insomniac employees. Yikes. They include a personal they include a personal document belonging to voice actor Yuri uh Lowenthal. Yuri Lowenthal, yep. Voice man, actor I'm gonna, man, I'm butchering these names. Uh, who, who provides the voice of Spider-Man in Insomniac's games. Internal emails and other confidential documents were also uh, were also a part of the hack. Residia has given Insomniac a week to pay their ransom, but have also begun an auction for the full set of data that begins at 50 Bitcoin or 2.1 U 2.1 million, excuse me, US dollars. Quote, with just seven days on the clock, uh, seize the opportunity to bid on exclusive, unique, and impressive data, Residia reportedly wrote. Open your wallets and be ready to buy exclusive data. We sell only to one hand, no reselling. You will be the only owner. End quote. So this is a bit of a mess. Not good. Uh, unfortunately, is very, you know, maybe not, not something as high profile as this, but unfortunately, hacking is very, very common in the modern world as everything is online and connected and all the and digital and all the rest of it. So, Tim, what's your what's your take on this? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because uh, my brother actually is doing like a cybercrime thing with work right now. And he sent me a message just out of the blue today that was like, hey, by the way, in case you don't know, like, this is the kind of stuff that can happen. <laughs> like, do this and do that to avoid, you know, getting hacked and stuff. And don't talk to people who are clearly scammers and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, like it's like you say, it's in the in the information age. Like information is is currency. It's everything. So when something like this happens it's a major problem and i mean do we i feel like you kind of have to adopt the like we don't negotiate with terrorists kind of thing like call the bluff because if they show that you know hackers that you know will will give you money for this you're only incentivizing other people to do it later right so Yeah, that is like the case that in a lot of these uh, ransomware sort of ransom situations where some some companies will pay it. And what's sad is, is some companies pay it and then they just don't get their data back, um, yeah, yeah. which is, you know, because it's like, you know, can you really trust this, you know, invisible because you don't know who the person is, this invisible sort of entity that's holding your stuff ransom. And so it, it, this really sucks. You know, it it's a, it is unfortunate. Um, and the thing, too, is like security, security is just. Like everyone says, oh, just make sure your stuff's secure. It's like it's impossible to secure everything perfectly. Like the only reason why we have security the way we have security is because somebody somebody has broken in in that way. Someone's noticed and then someone figured out how to block it. And then that gets added to the security protocol. Um, you know, there's obviously like the the standard like, hey, have a complex password. Don't use the same password over and over again. There's like, you know, key, there's things like that. Yeah. Two factor authentication. But two factor authentication has been hacked before. You know, this is just one of these things where, you know, we live in this like hyper connected world. In, in apps and games and everything else are so interconnected that, you know, one person that worked at one company accidentally being, you know, given credentials or being given credentials intentionally, but then having them, let's say, laid off or they quit or whatever, and then they still have access and then they have nefarious intent 
and that access was meant to be revoked, but you know, this one credential was missed. And it's like, is that the fault of IT? Like, sure, we could, you know, start pointing fingers, but at the end of the day, it's like it, there's too many cracks in everything for us yeah. to start being like, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's like this is just this is just a shitty situation, and I hope it gets resolved. That's the end of the day, right? It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It still happened. Like mm-hmm. you just need to you just need to do what you can to prevent it from happening again. And it is and it is like difficult to explain the how critical this stuff is to people that don't know it. Like they're just on their phone and they're like, oh, I just logged in. And I'm like, yeah, but you realize like, you know, if you if you gave that person your phone number and then that, you know, that app decides to resell it, like you're going to get spam calls, for example, not the necessarily the biggest deal in the world, but to them like that, you know what I mean? Like they're so far removed from they're using the information in the information age, but they're so far removed from how it works and where it comes from and how, where it goes that it's like, though they're like, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And it's like, it, it might not though. Like it may not be okay. There's that possibility. And then you can't be mad when it does happen because you didn't take any precautions. Yeah, exactly. Especially with like people that just have like the password as password and stuff like that. It's like, come on, man. Like It's like a meme at this point. You can't, you can't have the password password. Everyone knows you don't have the password password. What was the the this was it the seven most the seven most used passwords in in the movie Hackers? It was like it was what was it? I'm actually looking this up. It was like the seven the seven most. I'm gonna look this up. Uh, I'm gonna ask Copilot. I'm gonna say in the Hackers movie, what were the most commonly used passwords? It's really it's I know God is one of them. I know sex is one of them. <laughs> um For some reason it's analyzing my OneDrive page to try to figure this out. I don't have the answers. I am asking you. Don't like that. It's, <laughs> it's still it's still analyzing. Watch it's going to be like, "Man, like this there's no context for this here." But anyway, I'll let that thing work work itself away. But yeah, it's unfortunate for Insomniac. I hope it gets resolved. I hope that this data uh, you know, gets returned to them and that this I, doesn't happen again. I guess maybe if we see any developments on the story, we'll probably cover it next week because they've given them a time limit, right? So we'll see if they actually like call the bluff or if uh, the hacker group is good for their word. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that concludes. Oh, it did it. It did it. Okay, here we go. Sorry. It doesn't con- quite conclude. I have the Four most commonly used passwords in 1995 in the 1995 movie Hackers, and they are (laughs) (laughs) love, sex, secret and God. This is mentioned by one of the characters, Margot, who works as the head of PR for a software company. However, these passwords are very insecure and easy to guess, so they should not be used in real life. I like that. It tells you that these are these are not secure passwords. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's the funny. most common ones. And the <laughs> it's funny that they don't that it doesn't include password one two three one two three uh one two three four five six seven eight nine zero. My pet's name here, you know. This is this is the uh, I feel like this may have been like because this company was like all about I think it was like oil rigs or something and like oil tankers. And if I remember correctly, I bet I I would assume that 
like they already covered like the password stare. So it's like no one used the word password. So then all the executives are like, cool, sex or secret yeah. or God or whatever. And then it's like, for fuck's sake, like we can't, we can't have these like we can't have these ridiculous passwords. I actually I'm not going to look this up right now, but I actually really want to know if that if that's a legitimate fact, whether there was like a, you know, like you said, like password, all that plus love, secret, yeah. sex and God. Like, but yeah. Anyway, interesting. Interesting little tidbit there, but. That concludes our news stories for the week. It's on to what we're playing. Tim, what are you playing? It better be Starfield. You already know that it's not. <laughs> I know. I can hope. I can hope. Yeah, so actually I've been playing a lot of Starfield this week. Uh, I've been lying <laughs> to you for like months. No, um, actually quite a lot, weirdly. Um, a lot of different stuff. I uh, I started playing. I don't. I don't think I was on the podcast last week. Um, so I don't think I mentioned the fact that I've been playing Lego Fortnite, which you've also been playing with some people. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not surprising, honestly, with the resources that, um, that Epic has and the Fortnite has that there's always kind of like a really good version of like the game in Fortnite. So, but by what I mean, what I mean by that being like, it's a really good just Lego game. Like, it's a good the it's it's got that sort of you know your typical tried and true survival crafting elements, but also it's like really it's super modular. It doesn't require a ton of different materials to like build what you want to build in in the Lego Fortnite, and it's a it's a good like sandboxy type thing where. Uh, I I almost get like Tears of the Kingdom vibes from it because you've got these like rockets and switches and stuff and you can make flying ships and people have found out crazy ways to like get these dynamic platforms to move all different directions and things and making like blimps and planes and all this crazy stuff. Um, I kind of hope they like keep going with it for a while because I'd love to see like more content. I saw that they got an update where they made like tool durability last longer because I guess too many people were just burning through their tools too fast. So um It'd be it'd be nice to see if they do like content additions as well and add more different pieces or uh, or more sort of gameplay uh, elements because there's like a story to it as well that you can go through and recruit more random like Lego villagers that'll come to your village and then you can recruit them to work or you can recruit them to be like a follower and help you explore and stuff like that. Um, that's it's it's weirdly been a lot of fun and uh, it's the most Fortnite I've ever played, which is not a lot, but. <laughs> That's uh, that's what got me to download Fortnite. Um, I don't I, know about you, but like, are you shocked at how big it is for being a game in a game? Well, that's. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me, honestly. Like, I'm I'm fully aware of the fact that like Fortnite's just a platform now, in the same way that like Roblox is, where you boot up Fortnite, but you can play the like the racing game, you can play the rhythm game, you can play the Lego game, you can play a bunch of different games within Fortnite. Like, you can play the custom maps that people have made. There's like obstacle courses and things like that. It's 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 a it's a platform, you know. It's and you can also play battle royale, and you can play no build, and you can play friggin' like red light, green light. Like <laughs> it's, I, I I know that I would have been super into Fortnite if I was super like young or just, just like quite a lot younger um, than I am now, like playing Fortnite because that was my jam as a kid. Like all I did between ages like thirteen and sixteen was play Warcraft three online and play all the custom apps and and play the the games that people made within that game which I don't think Blizzard even really thought would become a thing, but it was kind of a thing in Warcraft 2, and they also had the map editor. Um, 
but Warcraft three was just like fun, like a phenomenon. There was so much great stuff and that sparked genres like the MOBA genre wouldn't exist without Warcraft three online custom games. So, um, that's, uh, that's, that's been crazy. Um, not really played so much Baldur's Gate. <laughs> You'll be happy to know. <laughs> Kayla and I did start playing another playthrough together on uh, on PlayStation, but we haven't touched it very much because she's trying to like not go too ham on it because she doesn't want to burn out. Um, so we uh, we started a, a Dark Urge playthrough where she's playing as the Dark Urge. Um, I was playing on stream for a while uh, the first Dragon's Dogma game, Dark Arisen. Um, but I, th- I think it's a game that's much better served to be like something that I just play on my own instead of trying to like play on stream and um and and play it that way because I think it it's better if you can like really hunker down and like understand the different mechanics and and spend a lot of time with it, which I can't really do in like a streaming environment because I'm trying to do too many different things and I'm not really making a lot of progress and like understanding mechanics of the game and. It's uh, I really like certain aspects of the game, but other aspects of it have have become quite dated. Um, so it's it's a funny one, but uh, I I do still hope to complete it before Dragon's Dogma Two comes out. But I'm gonna probably be doing that in my in my own time. Um, I also started playing on stream, uh, Monster Hunter World again in light of uh, the Wilds trailer. Oh yeah, for, yep. which is coming out in 2025. Hopefully early 25 would be nice, but uh, we're going to see some more gameplay on that in the summer of uh, 2024 from Capcom, which just celebrated their 40th year anniversary. Capcom, I had no idea it was that old of a company, but dang. Eight, 1983. Um, like arcade yeah. cabinets, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Probably. Um. It's Monster Hunter World is a game that has just aged very well. Like I I played a lot of Rise and I finished the story of Rise and I was even playing it when they were doing like the the patches and it was like updating the post game so they were adding more and more to the story. Um and I played all of that pretty well right up to the last update they did before the DLC like Sunbreak, the content edition for Rise. I never got Sunbreak. I just never really felt like going back to Rise. But after not playing Monster Hunter World officially for over three years, last time that I played it was like September of 2020, um, according Damn. to Steam anyway, for not playing it, I think three years was like the perfect amount of time to go between like not playing it and going back to it. I'm definitely like shaking off the rust a lot because <laughs> it, it plays differently from Rise, but it's like it's coming back to me and I'm making a bit of progress through World, but um it's just such a solid game. Like I put, I put so many hours into monster hunter world before and going this long and then playing it again. It's been just long enough where things like I'm familiar with everything, but I've forgotten a lot too. So things kind of feel fresh again, weirdly, even though like a lot of it's just muscle memory for like, you know, the progression of the game and what armor sets I want to make and what play style I play as and doing the different weapons that I typically play. Um, it's 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 been fun. It's been really fun, and I'm uh, imagining a lot of people are, are also probably going back to it now too, with like the hype being built up around it. But also because Capcom is doing like uh, they're doing their like uh, gatherers hub stuff again, where they stream on like the Monster Hunter channels, 
and uh, help people with their quests. They got like the community manager helping people out and that's cool. doing end game stuff and they're doing early game stuff and they're they're really trying to like help build up that community again, that like sense of making uh monster hunter content and, and hype generation to get things people excited for for wilds and stuff so it'd be cool to see if they start doing like events in world for wilds and like maybe start drip drip feeding some like new some new things like maybe costumes or or just you know any little thing that they can put back in world to sort of get people excited about uh wilds would be kind of cool they did like a little wilds themed I don't know, like a Palico outfit or something. It doesn't necessarily have to be like weapons or armor sets, but just some like aesthetic things would be would be kind of cool um, once they announce more stuff. But uh, would they would they do that for World or would they do that for Rise? Like, is Rise kind of fallen off? You think? That, that's a good point. Actually, I never really thought about how they're like not really focusing on Rise. <laughs> so there's like the two teams, right? Like there's like what used to be like the handheld teams and the console teams, and now there's sort of like the main series team and the B team. Okay. And the B team made Rise, and the main series team after World, I guess, clearly started working on Wilds. Um. So, I wonder if it's it's that they're sort of trying to do this like focus now on bigger team, main team for Wilds, and the last main series flagship game was World, so they're like focusing on that, right? Because there were other like the other spinoff games too between Four Ultimate. And world, there was like there was Monster Hunter Cross and Double Cross or Generations in the in the Western uh, market, which was kind of like a Monster Hunter All Stars type game, um, where it was it was for the tenth anniversary of the series, and it was sort of supposed to be like a here's all the like you know most popular monsters through the whole series, and you go through a story, and it's it's a whole game on its own, but it was really more so meant to be kind of like a celebration of the of the whole series and going back and going to old maps and things and fighting old monsters and really, uh, giving you like the five different, um, four or five different villages you could go to from all the old monster hunter games. And just, it's supposed to be like a huge, like nostalgia trip type game. Um, which was okay, but like it wasn't, it wasn't a main series monster hunter game, right? It wasn't pushing the, the next generation forward. Um, so it seems like they're they're more so focusing on on world again, trying to get like the hashtag back to world trending, and uh, doing these these gathering hub streams again like they used to do back when uh, world was really popular. Um, but even world if you go did on, not come out on Switch at all, right? Like not no, at all. No. Okay, it was PS4, P, uh, Xbox One, PC, and PS4. Yeah, PS4, Xbox One. Oh, oh, you said PS4, PC. sorry. Yeah. And I think that was it. I don't think it ever got like a new generation release. Because there was like Iceborne or what's that Iceborne, called? Yeah, Iceborne was the the content expansion, the DLC that came out like a year and a half later. Okay. Um, And it was, uh, it was 2018, I think February 2018, maybe something like that. Okay. And, um... Added a bunch of new content, made to see the weapons play differently and stuff. And that's the other thing, too, I'm noticing as I'm playing World again is, like, I'm playing it like it's still base game World. Like, I keep forgetting about the Iceborne stuff that's been added, and it's totally accessible and stuff. And there's the feature with, like, the Clutch Claw, and you grab onto the monster, and you can, like, weaken their parts. Or, like, soften their hides. You can, like, spin them and 
use your your slinger to like do a blast in the face then they like careen off and slam into a wall and fall over and there's all these like new like gameplay features and like some of the weapons have well all the weapons have new moves that you can do that were added in iceborne and i keep forgetting about all that stuff like (laughs) i'm just going back to my like old old muscle memory from like when world first came out um but i mean even if you do that it's still totally playable so, yeah, and, you, and you, you, you go, didn't, did you create a new character? Sorry, did you say, or yeah, did you just I go back to your over. old character too? Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I'd be able to like just pick up my old character and and be doing all the like master, uh, like yeah, master rank hunts and stuff. Like it's been too long. Like I gotta, I gotta shake off the rust. I gotta learn how to play these weapons again. But um, that's what I always really enjoyed about these games was like the progression of getting just better at the game, like playing it better, doing faster hunts. Not not getting KO'd, pulling off better combos, doing fights without getting hit, etc. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Monster Hunter has been the majority. Lots of Lego Fortnite. Um Dredge? No, I haven't played Dredge in a long time, actually. Dang. Um Yeah, I need to get back to it. It's it's just one of those games that I was kind of playing idly, like between other things, and then other things started filling in 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 that gap as well, but um, yeah, just a little little mishmash of different things, possibly with more other things to come in the future too. So <laughs> we will uh, fill that out. It's a game like it's a game year like that, right? Where it's like you, I mean, at least for me, I'm like I want to stick to like a couple. Like I'll have a multiplayer game mm-hmm. or two, and then I'll have like a single player. Then more stuff comes out, and you're like, well, I'm not gonna not try it, you yeah. know, and then. <laughs> And then you end up getting pulled in for a few hours at least here and there. Yep. Yeah, it's it's funny. I for a while I had like I felt like I was only doing like I was only doing Baldur's Gate. It's all I wanted to do. And I was like, man, it's a good thing I'm just like only wanting to play this one thing because I'm making progress through it, you know? Like I'm not playing five things all at the same time and, and doing nothing in any of them because I'm not committing enough time. And then it takes forever to get through these games. Like I'm making progress, I'm getting it done. And now I'm in the complete opposite of that where I am playing like five different games. And uh, just kind of having to rotate between the different games at the different times to to make uh, any progress. Oh, what did we? What, what were we playing on uh, Wednesday? Remnant two, Remnant. baby. Yeah, Remnant. We we finally got to playing Remnant, and man, that game like kicks so much ass. It is so good. Like I knew that it was getting good reviews, and I really liked the first Remnant game. But man, Remnant two is really goddamn good. It's so fun. It's fuck it. It's fun as hell. And I have like another save going and my other save is completely different than mm-hmm. our, our save. Even that clock tower that we went into, that yeah. clock tower was in a completely different section of the city. Yeah. Yeah. Like I really, I really commend the devs for like sticking to their vision from Remnant 1, which is like you can see the clear advancements in like their ideas being executed on between From the Ashes and then Remnant 2 and just really like going like the, the concept of like you know air quotes of dark souls with guns sounds like it could be kind of bad and like there are definitely things about remnant one that i found a little bit too kind of like safe you know mm-hmm. like they 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 took the safe option and they didn't really commit to this idea too much and they just wanted to kind of see if it would work very experimental but with remnant two they were like fuck it this is our idea and we're doing it and we're fully committing and it works really well like they yep. they executed really really well on their uh on their ideas and man props to them because like it's uh it's one thing to have like a, something that's really 
interesting conceptually, but it's a completely different thing to have that and also have it play well as a video game. Yep. And uh, and they found a way to do it. Like it's it it really is very entertaining, and it's even more fun with friends, and it feels very balanced but satisfying to play and engaging because of the like randomization elements, right? Like you say, it's they the two playthroughs will truly be very different. And um uh the the first game had like sort of randomization elements to it, but it was still very linear. And uh then there were just sort of like sections that were sort of randomized. Um so it's really cool to see them uh continue with their vision and not give up on it because they did a fantastic job. What's crazy about it too is the procedural generation to me was complete. I was completely blind to it. I didn't know there was procedural generation until we got stuck and I had to look something up. And then the guides were all kind of being wishy-washy. They were like, well, go find this building that looks like this. And I was like, yeah, that's all well and good. Where is it? And the guides can't cover that because it's yeah. in a random ass location for everybody. Yeah. It's like, man, this is kind of crazy. Well, there's that other thing too. Like, so like, like, you know relevant to what you're saying like in the age of information like if you want to play a game and you want to like look up every little detail about it you'll be able to do that like in the first couple of days that that game is out like people will already have cracked that game completely they will know everything about it Mm -hmm. with remnant so there's like the class system in remnant where um you know you can level up your classes you can multi-class there are other classes that you can unlock by playing the game and stuff there's a class in that game that the devs only made it findable because of people that because they knew that people would data mine the game. And the what only the way to hell? figure out how to, to unlock that class was through data mining because it was such a like a particular series of events and inputs that you have to do and like locations you have to go to and things you have to execute in a certain order. The only way you would possibly find out about it unless people just like play this game for 10 years was to data mine it. So it was a thing that was completely hidden in this game and people found it and they were like, well, shit, the devs knew that people were going to do this. And yeah. they hid they hid a, a class, a playable class in the game in that information. That's awesome. And that's such a clever way of like metaing the current industry of games. Because like I was talking on stream a couple days ago about how like nothing in gaming is like secret anymore. Because there, you just have the internet. Like unless you completely cut yourself off from the internet and from you only talk about people from like word of mouth stuff. Like the back in the like early you know two thousands, there was so much misinformation going around of people being like, oh yeah, you could do this in this game, and you just can't. People are just making it up, or they heard someone else say it, so they just took it as the gospel truth, and then they're like, oh yeah, you can. (laughs) Yeah, you can, you can, you can totally unlock Waluigi as a playable character in Mario Kart sixty four. You just have to beat every cup. Uh, on the hardest difficulty and get to the final lap and reverse over the finish line for every race. And then once you do that, you go back to the the main menu and you hit the reset button on the, on the N64 three times. And then Waluigi will, uh, his face will appear on the main screen and his eyes will be bleeding and he'll go. And then he's on the, uh, he's on the player select screen. And it's like, well, that's not real, but it sounds so convoluted and specific that it has to be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like like that that doesn't happen anymore, right? Because people can just like confirm or deny stuff immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you have secret stuff in in games anymore? How do you have these secret unlockables? Well, how do people interact with our product? Well, they'll data mine the shit out of the game. 
Perfect. Put it, it, put it where they'll date him on it. Put it where they'll find it. And it's just like, it's it's crazy. It's such a like galaxy brain move. And I, it's I, like it'd be it'd be one thing if it was an Easter egg in there, but the fact that it's a full <laughs> game mechanic, like a full class in an RPG, hidden in there, is it's genius. It's just really smart. How many people? How many people are going to go through the game and not even realize? I, I want to yeah. know how many people are yep. not even going to realize that it's procedural because they'll just go through the game once, they'll beat it, and they'll be like, "Cool," and that'll be it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And they'll talk with their friend and they'll be like, hey, remember this part? And they'll be like, no, I didn't see that. What do you mean? You beat the game, didn't you? Yeah. What do you mean you didn't do this part? It just wasn't in the game. What are you talking about? Yeah. What the? Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be an interesting interaction. <laughs> it's kind of like the Elden Ring effect, right? Where like Elden Ring does, isn't procedural, but Elden Ring was so vast and people did so like weird paths that that yeah. was like the first game in a, in a while or maybe in the first game ever where I remember everybody talking about their adventures. Like I went on this big fucking hill and there was this skeleton man and he kicked me off and you know, just these yeah. crazy adventures until eventually people started doing all the same stuff. But like it was a few, probably about a month, month and a half, at least, at least in my social circles where people were just chatting up Elden Ring constantly being like, mm-hmm. being like all the caves and crap they found. It was super cool. So that's been my week. What have you been doing? What? I've also been doing Remnant. Uh, I have two saves going, one with you guys and uh, one with my buddy Alex. We have reached what we believe is the final boss. Um, for some here, it's very hard. It's fucking hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> we haven't actually played the game that long. Like, the story itself is not very long. Like, we've only bit done three or four, maybe like four or five sessions, and our sessions aren't super long. Like, they're not even three hours usually. Uh, so it's not very long at all. And we got stuck on the second last boss, which I assume is not going to be the same for anybody. So I'm not even going to describe it, but it was a man that beat the shit out of me <laughs> and yep. flew around. And he absolutely beat my ass. And I had, to like, ass. I had to like rebuild my equipment a bit to, for the first time ever to like counter his shit. Mm-hmm. So we eventually kill him. And then we beat the first, uh, I mean, I guess slight spoilers for the fact that there's two tiers in this final boss and we beat the first tier of this final boss and we're like, okay, after the third try, we're like, okay, you know, that's good. <laughs> and then we, then of course the second tier opens up and I immediately, I should have actually recorded it. It was like the Elden Ring thing where it's like, I'm supposed to be a role play game. What the hell am I fucking role playing as? The victim? Like, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I don't know, some Tron shit. There was a bunch of like, like, I don't even know explosions going off some lasers a couple of arms popped out of the floor it was like what in the fuck is happening and I died so that was that was the end of that time to do phase one all over again time to do phase one all over again just to get more intel on phase two yeah yep. and probably fail phase one more times so we yep. actually went back uh, we're we're trying to see if there's like another realm or something to tra- travel to or something that we've you know potentially missed to give us more experience because um, I'm playing as the melee guy, so he's melee and he's also a medic. And my and my melee guy's max level. He's all he's all ten. Just hit that. But my medic guy is like level. F- I want to say six. I think that might even be too much. He might be like level four. So we're like, okay, like maybe we need to level up our second archetype. Maybe there's like a way for us to do that. So we're just sort of exploring those options at the moment, just because we're getting our like actual ass kicked. So <laughs> there's that whole situation. Um, I also I finally built and hooked up my new PC, and yeah. with yeah. the with the new PC I received for free. Uh, well, I guess included is Alan Wake Two, 
which I have not played or installed. And I also received Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. And I like making fun of Avatar. Like, I'm the first person to say that. I like making fun of Avatar. I'm laughing at its, like, creatures and stuff. And uh, as a kind of a joke, but I was kind of serious. I was like, man, the first game I'm going to play because I got this game for free is I'm going to play Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, uh, which is Ubisoft's new Avatar game. And I did, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just ironically unironically really good it's really good um i mean it definitely has some avatar shit like the the characters are definitely you know talking up their arana haze and (laughs) shit like that and like talking about how like oh you like i don't even i don't even know it's like they they just like talk up the lore so much that like i just don't know sometimes what's happening type thing like i'm not super in avatar so they'll be like oh like you know this person and this person and these people and we have the sky sky clan and jake sully's off doing something i'm like well i recognize jake sully he's from the movies but i don't know who the heck any of these other tribes or clans are or who where we are i didn't know what an aranahe was until yesterday so (laughs) trying to to claim i think an aranahe so i could fly it around um but no that game is really really fun it lets you do sort of the, the traditional Ubisoft thing where you can set your difficulty and you can change any time in game, but it also lets you set whether you want to explore versus just be guided to places. And when it guides you to places, it'll be like, oh, this is northwest of this river or whatever. Um, I will say one complaint is that the map is a bit too abstract for me. And so it'll be like, oh, it's by this river. But the map doesn't label the river for me unless I've like really discovered that area. And in the quest, I've gone to that river. They've mentioned the name and I've only known where to go sometimes because I haven't explored the river fully enough for the name to pop up. But I remember being in that location, them saying it in the mission. And then I go, you know, Northwest or North or wherever it tells me to go, um, which has led me to sort of get lost a few times. But I will say this is when I get lost, I mean, Pandora is Pandora. Like it's just like the movies where you're walking around and there's plants popping in and out of things. There's things lighting up. Uh, you can parkour in this game. Uh, I now have human weapons, so I'm using the Sky People's weapons. I'm running around with the with an assault rifle. I also have a, a heavy bow now. I have a regular bow. There's armor in this game. There's crafting. You, you have to eat, so you can like hunt creatures and cook. There's this really interesting system of if you harvest things from plants, there's times of day and weather that affects the quality of it. So if you grab a oh. stick off of a tree for like a bow, you have to like grab it. And if you just like half-handedly just rip it off, that's a poor quality stick. You have to find the weak spot, pull it off, and then that plant will have a thing where it's like, oh, it's nighttime and it's raining. So this is a like top tier resource that you get. <laughs> and I was like, man, I this is f- fucking wild. Like, I feel like there's a point at which we we don't need it to be that complicated. <laughs> You know, like, is this really, is this really adding a lot to this game to have it be a nighttime quality stick? Like, okay, great. I'm just trying to craft, bro. Like, it's my, it's my purple. I don't even know what they are. Flower things that have sticks on them. I got to go there at night and only when it's raining. (laughs) Like, what the heck? (laughs) Um, But I haven't, I've only, I've only crafted a little bit. I like killed a couple of. I mean, they're not deer, but they're kind of like deer. I killed deerts. I killed a couple of deerts and uh, yeah, and uh, cooked them up. And I was running running around doing that. Um, the game is still, you know, still a Ubisoft game. It, it's very much like, oh, this area is all polluted. Why is that? Oh, the sky people set up like a refinery here. You go over there and it's like an outpost, right? You take out the outpost and 
then the area kind of recovers and that area is now, I, I guess, for the Navi or whatever. So there's that whole <laughs> there's that whole thing. But uh, no, the game's really, really good. Um, uh, I'm running it on a 4080 uh, with a Ryzen 9 7950X3D. And it runs really friggin' well. I'm only playing a 1080p right now. I only have a 1080p monitor, but it runs really, really well. No problems. I've been using the photo mode. Of course, I have been messing around with that, and that's been fun. Uh, and also, also on my PC, I uh, I did I did Remnant, which I already discussed. I did that on Xbox, mm-hmm. and I did that on PC. And all those two games ran perfect. And then I booted up Starfield. <laughs> ah, here we go again. As, Starfield, for some reason, I won't get into it too much, but Starfield, for some reason, has the audio crackling, terrible input delay, and it opened up in the bottom right corner of my screen, and it kept trying to turn on FSR, and I have an NVIDIA card, so I was like, no, turn on DLSS. It kept defaulting the FSR. I don't know why. I eventually went to um, the NVIDIA, or the GeForce Experience, I eventually got it to kind of work. That menu is still fucked, though. Like, that menu is totally fucked, like the main menu. But once I'm in the game, it's totally fine. Everything's fine. Everything runs fine. I could talk to people, fly ships, do everything. Everything's totally fine. Even the menus in the game are fine. Main menu, absolute disaster. And word of the wise, if you own the Constellation Edition like I do, you get two DLCs, uh, which don't include the art book, because that's also another one, but two in-game DLCs. When you install them on the Xbox launcher, they do not install inside the right directory. You have to manipulate some files. You have to move them around because they install in separate directories for some reason. That is... It's 2023, <laughs> by the way. I just like to remind everyone. It's 2023. It's a manually manipulate install files for a game that you buy in the modern age. Okay, and this is day one. Like, this is like... I'm, I'm like, hey, I'm going to try my new PC. Imagine if my most anticipated game was Starfield and I really wanted to try it on my PC and this is the first impression... This, this is the first impression I got yeah, of my 4080. Hang on a second. Hang on. I'm going to go to the INI file here. Okay. Uh, let's see what we got here. So it's some DLC. Okay. It's, in, it's installed it, but it's put it in the wrong folder. Okay. So I got to go online. <laughs> okay. What's the right folder to put this in? Okay. Let's see here. there was a reddit thread about it where it's like yeah you have to go in because like obviously i made like an xbox games directory or folder and um it put you know starfield in there and then it also put remnant in there because i'm playing remnant on game pass but then the dlc also appears in that root folder so it says like old mars and then like the constellation pack or the deluxe edition it's like you basically installed it as two separate games like the hell is what happened like what the fuck happened this is just part of the 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 classic bethesda jank you know this is this is is what people want this is what the gamers want this is nostalgia well uh ryan told me that he didn't have this problem and to install the constellation edition. So I uninstalled the game, tried to install the constellation edition. When I go to that, when I go to that screen, it now, okay, so it's really weird. So when I go to that screen, it just says play, but it's like the cloud button. So like play on the cloud. But when I install it, because I installed it again separately, and then go to the constellation edition screen or the deluxe edition screen, it then says play slash install. So I don't know what the fuck is going on. Um <laughs> <laughs> to be blunt, I don't know whether it's the launcher, whether it's Bethesda, whether it's both, but I don't like it. Someone's got to fix that because if they release like, well, they, they're supposed to be releasing like a legit paid for DLC or presumably it's paid for DLC in the future. I hope I don't have to go in and purchase it and then immediately start fucking tinkering with my files on my computer. And that's going to be infuriating. So please, somebody uh, from Microsoft, if you're listening to this, which you are not, please fix that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but other than that, I think that's been it. I did install Cyberpunk, and I'm going to try Cyberpunk because I've been playing it on the Steam Deck. Um, so this is going to be mm. a big ass upgrade. <laughs> yes. And I've been it's playing it on a computer that's capable that has a hard drive. Oh my god! So it actually runs all right on a hard drive, though. Like I know that's not—it's officially unsupported now. It actually does not fade in. It just has long load time, but it doesn't. Nothing pops in. Like it's actually all right. But I'm gonna see what it looks like on a proper rig. So we're gonna see what happens. <laughs> uh, but that night and day, night and day, yeah. And unfortunately, the PSP project has fallen off the wayside because I've been doing this PC stuff. Yeah, that's worth it. I'd say so, yeah. I can always pick up the PSP over the holidays or something. But that has been my week. Tim, where can the people find you? And this concludes another episode of the Demon Patch Podcast. Like I said, I stream on Twitch. If you don't know that already, well, you know it now. I say it enough. Um, Twitch.tv slash the sidetrack. Like I said, I'm playing Monster Hunter World right now in anticipation of Monster Hunter Wilds. Not going to be playing it until 2025, I don't think. But it's just fun to, to go back to a game that you that you love very much and uh, see how it's aged over time after not playing it for a number of years. It's been a blast to go back to it. And I'm trying to, uh, you know, encourage other people to get into it as well. It's like super on sale right now on Steam. I think they said it's the lowest price it's ever been. So I think it's like 10 bucks, less than $10 US right now which is a crazy deal for how much game is there um if you like games that will humble you um but are also very satisfying to be able to learn how to play and uh obviously they're trying to build up a lot of like hype around it and build up the community again so it's a it's a good game to find people to play games with and trying to tell people they want to come in and they want to start playing the game and they want help doing quests and stuff i'm more than happy to do so uh Monster Hunter World, Twitch.tv slash the sidetrack. And then I guess we'll probably we'll probably keep playing Remnant. Um, I'd imagine so, yeah. For the next uh, little while on uh, the Day One Patch channel on Twitch as well, Wednesday nights, which is twitch.tv slash day one patch media. Normally Ryan's here to plug it, but he's not, so I can do it. I feel this like is- everyone has like out outdone their Baldur's Gate, right? Like everyone's kind of played Baldur's Gate right now and like so we're just kind of taking a breather a little bit. <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> like, people people play their Baldur's Gate, so it's uh it's it's all good. It's a good game, but you can only play it so many times, so yeah, correct. But that's it. That concludes this episode. As Tim said, we're signing off. Thanks for listening. Peace.